a special edition of the Game Time Podcast. I'm Brad with St. Louis Game Time, joined by my friend Jeff Jones. We are recording this the day after the axe was finally, finally, finally dropped on Mike Yo. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Brad. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was up watching the end of that game last night, and you and I had been texting at the end of the game, uh, and I, I fell asleep for not 10 minutes. And in the 10 minutes, I fell asleep at 11 o'clock last night. They, uh, they they fired the coach. I woke up to a text from you, and then, you know, obviously the world of Twitter. Yeah, so they were playing the worst team in the NHL, the LA Kings. Empty net goal with like 30 seconds to play. And I, so I think my first response on Twitter was, we'll take you live to the St. Louis Blues, and I had a picture of an atom bomb going off. And then I said, you know what? We need to have a contest for people to see... For people to see um, when predicting when uh, the announcement would come on Twitter, and I said anybody who got close without going over, you know, uh, prices right rules, would get Friday and Saturday's papers for free. Thinking that you can't survive losing to the Kings, getting shut out, getting shut out three or four games, and he could. Yeah, I, you know, if you get shut down by Cal Peterson, bad things are going to happen. Uh, and I, you know, we can start here. And I, I understand that, you know, Barubi as the guy who coaches the power play in a six-on-five situation would ostensibly be the guy with the whiteboard drawing up the play, and that's fine. But, man, I, I was struck by, and I think that John Kelly was struck by in the broadcast, too, because he made a point of mentioning it. I was struck by the fact that when they took the timeout with the goalie pull, the minute 20 left or whatever it was, that Mike Yo wasn't even in the conversation. I mean, it was Barubi in the middle of the guys, and Yo was just sort of standing there, like... It, like, to, like, almost it looked like he had been fired with five minutes still to go in that game. Well, at least he wasn't leaning on the boards laughing at the Jumbotron, right? Yeah, I I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel about that. I, it so doesn't... Colton Pareko, get, there, there's 119 left, there's a timeout, the whiteboard's out. He's on the ice, leaning on the boards, kind of catching his breath. You can see him glance up at the Jumbotron, and he's laughing at something. I can only guess they were playing the inspirational speeches, movie speeches on the board, you know, don't give up. Maybe it was the one from, uh, what, Beer, Beer League or whatever, uh, from the Lizard Guys. I don't know. Maybe he's laughing at Mel Gibson and Braveheart. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, by the way, uh, very briefly, because we can't do this without talking about things the Washington Capitals do better, uh, the Capitals have worked into their thing a bit of Tom Green from the movie Road Trip, where he screams, Unleash the Fury. Unleash the Fury, the boys yeah. have done that too. Yeah. The Caps, the the Caps have done that big time. They sell, they sell merchandise with Unleash the Fury on it. It's a whole thing there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, as, as far as Pareko goes, there is a part of me that says... I'm not really in a position to judge what a guy is laughing. You know, like, I'm not in that headspace, and I don't necessarily think that laughing at something in that situation is an indication that he doesn't care. Because, yeah, I mean, people laugh in weird spots, right? People react to things differently and whatever. However, the other side of that, if you're Colton Pareko, and the most common criticism has been he doesn't play with enough fire... To then be seen in that situation does reinforce some negative narratives, right? Like, if if the th whole thing with Colton Pareko is he doesn't buckle down and play hard enough or play mean enough, cut to here's Colton Pareko yuck-yucking, that's a bad look. It's a 
bad combination, especially for him. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, so for that way, for I, that particular guy, it's a really unfortunate combination. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, uh, I'm Brock. We're, we're recording this uh, over the phone. I am at Lindenwood Ice Arena. It's not a rink. It's a, an arena in beautiful Wentzville, Missouri. Uh, middle kid Jackson is going through learn-to-play practice here at uh, Lindenwood. And it is damn cold in this rink. Holy shit. Jeff. Yeah, by it the way. And it, feels like a, it feels like it's colder inside than outside. And it's like 32 degrees outside. And that's fine. I'm just telling you right now. You don't get to complain about Jackson's learn to play practice because let me tell you something. Back in my day, when I had learned to play, it was at Cahokia at the outdoor rink at six a.m., not six thirty p.m. <laughs> That's insane. We used yeah, to uh, we used to do know, the thing we where we would St. Peter's uh, at the Recplex. It's at like eight o'clock on Saturday mornings, and Daddy just doesn't feel like going to that. So we're doing Lindenwood for a while, uh, and then getting ready for. Uh, Big boy hockey next fall. So yeah, no, no, no. It was. Uh, so if you hear any background, it's not like fake noise or anything. It's actually hockey type stuff happening a few feet away from me. All right. So Cahokia in the rink. Cahokia in the rink. Boy, they didn't have glass. They had chain link fence. We'd skate for 25 minutes, go inside, drink a hot chocolate out of the quarter machine, and then go back out for the last 25 minutes. That sounds amazing. I'm so jealous that I don't get to do that. Uh, anyway, I thought it was interesting. They let Yo do the press conference afterwards. And he, uh, he just walked out, shrugged, kind of put his hands out like, what do you want me to say? And then walked out and over the same damn thing. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have an answer for anything. He didn't have a prescient observation. He didn't really have a joke. It's like, yeah, we're just trying, trying to find a way. We just got to find a way. We just got to find a way. No, you don't. You're, you're done. I mean, I, I think some of these, and I made the joke the other night about I don't know why we won. Well, okay, that's probably true, and you're probably being a little too honest at this point. Uh, but uh, you know, it's just indicative of where your what your situation is with your team. I did, yeah. I, I thought it was. Do you think it's a dick move letting him go out there and kind of stumble around with the media and then fire him? I, I mean, not really. I did, and I, I told you this last night. I thought the people betting for the firing to come last night were betting on a sucker's bet. Uh, because they only, because they always fire the coach in the morning. Which, by the way, I have a conspiracy theory about that, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but, you know, I thought the really interesting thing, or one of the really interesting things that came out today, was reporting from Jeremy Rutherford, among others, which suggested that the Blues front office was unhappy with things that Mike Yo had said in public, and specifically referred to, I believe it was the Columbus game, where afterwards Yo said, my job should be in jeopardy. Uh, apparently there were people in the front office who didn't think that that was, I don't know, an appropriate thing to say or whatever. That seems very weird to me because that was a very honest moment from Mike. You know, I don't know what there is to be upset about that unless, it, you know. He was taking responsibility. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, unless unless the perception is he was throwing in the towel at that moment and they didn't want to hear it, maybe. Right. Like once, once you. Saying, Please end it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Once. Once you speak, right, once you speak into the universe that my job is on the line, then it becomes inevitable that you have to be fired, right? It's one of those type of things. Uh, my yeah, it could be. Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Armstrong basically said um, that they made a phone call, that Armstrong called Stillman during the second period, after the second period, during the game last night, and let him know he made, had made the decision and was, and was kind of seeking his approval. So they didn't even wait for the third period. They didn't even wait for the loss. Uh, he made the call during the game. Does that surprise you? 
Not really, because, you know, if they... If the Blues had managed to put up two goals in the third period against Cal Peterson, would that really have been an indication that things had turned around, that the team was going to be better? I don't think so, right? Like, what, I mean, yeah, right. They, as it turns out, could not do that. But, but yeah, what would it have really mattered? I don't mean, I don't, yeah, I don't get that impression. I think that they, the die was really already cast at that point. Uh, and so, it, you know, the honest thing to do was to roll with it no matter what. I will say briefly here, though, my, here's my conspiracy theory uh, about the timing of the coaching change. Because the Edmonton Oilers also made a coaching change today, and Ken Hitchcock became the interim or whatever head coach of the Oilers. Do we think maybe that Hitch let his old buddy Doug Armstrong know that that was coming? And so Army bumped up the timeline just a wee bit? And fired Yo last night, so they wouldn't have to deal with the dueling news cycle today. <laughs> uh, okay, so during the press conference, which we're probably going to get to here in just a second, uh, I think it was asked, "Did you talk to Hitchcock about becoming the interim coach?" And I think the way Armstrong phrased it was, "We talk all the time; we're good buddies." I did not talk to him about the interim job. He's very clear. He's very precise in his wording. I didn't talk to him about hiring him for the interim job. So they could have talked about something else. Yeah, clearly. Right. Talked about the permanent job. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, I mean, no, look. For all yeah, of... That, man, that is kind of... That is incredibly weird timing. For and all of the... Lose pussyfoot around. They're unhappy since Columbus. I mean, they've been unhappy all season, but... You know, really kind of thinking the writings of the wall since the Columbus game. They, they, you know, they have the bad road trip. They, they could have done it. You know, come on the getting off the plane on Sunday. Instead, they wait till last night, and it just happens to be less than twenty four hours before Edmonton makes a move as well. Yeah, less, crazy. Than, less than twelve even. I, 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 will, I will tell you this. I, I think that, you know, for all the people who are baying for additional blood who want players to be moved in addition to coaches, one good way to do it would have been to hire Ken Hitchcock and watch the flood of players demanding traits. <laughs> that would have been enjoyable. If you're, not a, if you're not happy with Alexander Steen, boy, do you want the Blues to hire Ken Hitchcock. Yeah, this is true. That's totally accurate. And we'll, we'll talk about Steve here in a minute. Uh, okay, so they have the press conference. They introduced uh, Craig Berube, the new interim head coach of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, they're at the Mills for practice. Berube's up there for, like, what, four minutes? And then uh, says, I have to go to practice. And then Armstrong takes questions from the media. Jeff, what was your overall sense of the mood of the press conference for the Blues? Well, before we get to that, uh, I wanna, I, I'm curious what your opinion is on this question. Where was Tom Stillman today? Uh, he wasn't at the one a couple of years ago firing no. Ken Hitchcock. He usually isn't at the end of the season briefing. Uh, when, when stuff happens, usually you know, at the end of the season after eliminated from the playoffs or you know, something happens, he usually does interviews. He did an interview with us for the old radio show back in the day. Uh, he'll sit down with Jeremy Rutherford uh, probably Jim Thomas this time, but uh, you know it's not like he comes out and, and and kind of takes the lead, and that you know that's pretty much par for the course because he says you know the hockey guys are the hockey guys, and the hockey guys make the hockey decisions, but they obviously get his feedback. So and that's and that's all that, fine and good, but 
When the Cardinals canned Mike Matheny this summer, you bet your ass Bill DeWitt was sitting on the stage. Well, that's true. That's true. And I, well, I mean, here's I, other thing. So I don't know. What's Tom, what's Tom Stillman's feeling? Armstrong basically said he's mad. He's pissed off. So, I mean, maybe maybe Tom thought better of, of getting in front of some microphones and saying some things he might regret yeah. later if he really is kind of uh, upset at the moment. I don't know. I don't... I don't think that's okay. Like, I don't... That's not a good enough explanation for me. Right? Like, I, I am okay. closer... I am closer to accepting the hockey guys do the hockey stuff and being like, eh, whatever. Like, I... That's fine. I can cope with that. I I don't know, man. I, I think that given that Doug Armstrong has gone through yet another coach, uh, I think at some point Tom Stillman's got to come out and answer some questions, right? Like... It doesn't. It doesn't do much good to ask Doug Armstrong what's Tom feeling and have him re- and have him repeat it. Nor does it do much good to ask Doug Armstrong what does your job look like right now? Because what's Armstrong going to say? And for that matter, how does he know? He's not the person in charge of his own job status. I think that it's reasonable to want to hear from Tom Stillman's mouth what the ownership's group's opinion uh, is of Doug Armstrong right now. Well, yeah, that's a good point. But I mean. Do we have any doubt that he has a hundred percent faith in, the, in in Doug Armstrong? I mean, he just gave him the contract extension over the summer, four years, and an option year. I mean, there yeah. has been no indication whatsoever during the Armstrong regime that he didn't have full faith in him. So, uh, and if that's, does this change that? And if if that's the case, fine. And I I think it probably is. But then Tom Stillman needs to say that out loud, and he needs to be asked follow-up questions about it. Why are you still confident in Doug Armstrong? What about uh, his job fair, performance shows? I, you, know, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. I really do think that. He I do too. I just I think it was not good for him not to show up today. Yeah, I, I, it, my opinion on Tom Stillman is that he has the best interest of the franchise at heart. When he stepped up to buy the team from Dave Chuckets, he was one of the few, if any, local owners who could step up and do it. Once he took over, they've spent to the cap. They have tried their asses off. We've talked to him. He 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 wants to hear from fans. He he wants to win. Uh, and you know, none of that has changed over the years. You know, with any frustrations or struggles or anything like that, money loss, anything. I I agree with all of that. All of that is true. But at some point, the guy who owns the business needs to talk about why the business isn't successful. Right, like I, 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 I respect all of the things that he has done, uh, but he has already done all of those things. Now he needs to do the next thing, which is win some more games and hold, hold people accountable. I maybe sure, or be held to account himself. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so let's fast forward to the the press conference this morning. Uh, did it seem a little too jovial to you? It was a very bizarre press conference. So, full disclosure, uh, we started doing this after I only watched the first 11 minutes or so of the press conference. So I saw the Baruby bit, and I saw Armstrong announcing that he was going to have Larry Robinson on staff, etc. Uh, but in those 11 minutes, I watched Doug Armstrong laugh three or four times and watched Baruby have some chuckles. It, I was I was in the room for the press conference when Mike Yo took over for Ken Hitchcock. And let me tell you, that was a very different room. Doug Armstrong... Cried tears throughout that press conference. Was choked up, too choked up to speak on several occasions. Mike Yo sat at that table and chewed the inside of his cheeks and looked like he wasn't sure he was supposed to be talking to anyone. That room was dead 
quiet. Like and it, it, it was it was it was at the mills too. It was at the uh, the you know the, the crappy little briefing room at the mills. People were jammed into there, and it was it was a full room too because Toronto was in town that day. So you had all the national Canadian media following the Leafs around. That was that was a serious and somber situation. This today to me sounded like a room where everybody was like, "Yeah, we all fucking knew what was going to happen here." Like like there there was no there, there, you know Armstrong gave the tacit things to Mike Yo. He did a good job. He's a good guy. This isn't all his fault. But man, it did not sound like a reverent room to me. No, it doesn't. And you know, there are some things that there are some things that sounded eerily familiar, you know, uh, he's paying for our mistakes and we gotta hold players accountable and the young core and yada yada. Rutherford actually called them on at one point and said when you fired Ken Hitchcock, you said that you didn't want to be in the business of firing any more coaches, and then here we are, not three full seasons later. Uh, and, and Armstrong laughed and said, well, I don't remember saying that, but if you're quoting me saying that, I probably said it. And then he, then he, I think he realized, yeah, that does sound kind of ridiculous that I said that, because here we are, and uh, I don't really have an answer, and then he kind of struggled to answer the question. So, well, here, let me... I mean, Let's let's play a game uh, because our friend at, at STL Blues History tweeted this about half an hour ago. Quotes from Doug Armstrong after firing Davis Payne, after firing Ken Hitchcock, after firing Mike Yo. I'm going to read the quote. You tell me which coach the quote was from. Okay, go. He is paying the price for all of our failures, starting with mine. Uh. I'm going to go with, well, he said sins today, so it wasn't him, it wasn't Yo, so I'm going to say it's uh, Ken Hitchcock. Correct, Ken Hitchcock. Uh, Let's see here. Quote, at what point do the players become responsible and not the coach? That time is today. The players are now responsible for own actions. The players are now responsible for the success of this team. It's up to our players to respond. Okay, that kind of sounds like a Davis Payne thing because they brought in a Stanley Cup winning coach, and so coaching wasn't going to be an excuse anymore. It was on the players. That was indeed Davis Payne. And today we have a quote about Mike Yo. We haven't had consistent play from our top players. That goes without saying. The NHL is a top player league. If your top players are playing at their best on a consistent basis, you usually have success, and we've had ebbs and flows from our core group of players. players. That patience is now at its thinnest point. Maybe it's the maybe same like, thing. You know, you know uh, the National Treasure, the uh, the movie. There's the sequel, National Treasure Book of Secrets, and like the president has the United States president has a book that gets handed down from president to president with like state secrets and tips and stuff. Maybe when a general manager changes hands, they get a book that has all of the things you're supposed to say when you fire a coach, and you just kind of memorize those talking points from firing to firing. What do you think? I, I mean, it's pretty qu- It's pretty quick, or pretty close, I should say. Right? Like, I, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's same, the same, same thing. Different. Yeah, it's it's the same quotes. And then let me, uh, let me see here. Okay, here's a quote from Alex Petrangelo. We need to look in the mirror. We let the coach down. Payne, Hitchcock, or yo. Uh, That's Davis Payne. <laughs> it's a tough part of the business. You feel like you let him down, and he's paying for the fact that we're not playing up to our standards. Payne, Hitchcock, or Yo? Uh, Mike Yo. That one's Mike Yo. And then after Ken Hitchcock, 
Uh, Alex Petrangelo said, We all felt that we let him down. You feel like he's taken a lot of the blame for us. I certainly feel that way. I feel like I let him down. It starts with me and goes down to the rest of the group. Now, interesting that when Ken Hitchcock was fired, it was, I feel like I let him down. And today, it was, you feel like you let him down. It's a totally different wording, John. It's, it's, I mean, I, like, and this gets back to the broader point, which is, you know, Doug Armstrong can yuck-yuck at the press conference because we all knew it was coming because this has now happened several times. Alex Petrangelo, Alex Steen, or David Perron are on their fifth head coach with the St. Louis Blues. That's and, crazy. And no one thinks that Craig Berube is the long-term answer. No. So they'll have six as long as they're still around when they hire a full-time coach. And, and probably for Petrangelo and Steen, it's not necessarily a guarantee that that would be the case. Like, maybe, you know, that maybe there's possibility for movement there. But, yeah, it's more likely than not that Alex Petrangelo, Alexander Steen, and David... And, obviously, Perron is extenuating circumstances. But that Petrangelo, Steen, and Perron will be Blues through six head coaches. I think that's interesting, and I, you know, I'm going to talk about seeing in a second, but first, so on Twitter, and I, I think I texted this to you as well, I actually looked at how many coaches David Perron has played for him through his entire NHL career, from St. Louis to Edmonton to Pittsburgh to Anaheim to St. Louis to Vegas to St. Louis, and it's now 11, and when they hire a permanent coach after Barubi, it's going to be a, 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 an even dozen, which I thought was crazy, and said, well, you know, I wonder how many other guys played for a ton of coaches, and that led me to obviously to Mike Sillinger, who played for twelve different teams. And it took me about half an hour to search through every team he played for, and I found out that Mike Sillinger played for twenty-two different head coaches during his NHL career. That's... So David Perron has a long way to go to be uh, like a full, full like Mike Sillinger. I'm going to play for every guy who coaches in the NHL. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Here's another one. Uh, that would be worth looking up is Eric Weinrich. That's the guy who played for twelve teams. That's, yeah, that's not bad. I didn't. I don't, and he also yeah, he was on some bad Blackhawks teams too. And the Blackhawks are going through a coach every nine months. You know, so so there are fans out there who call themselves Team Steen, and they uh, have have a sentiment that Steen is one of the leaders or the key leader on on this team, and that he should be wearing the captaincy and not number twenty seven. Uh, but, you know, if you look at it, you know, part of Petrangelo playing for five different coaches now for the Blues, you know, early in his career he was just doing the tryouts. I don't think he played much under Andy Murray because uh, he's kept going back to juniors before 10 games. But Alex Dean has played an integral role role on the on these teams his entire time in St. Louis since, since he arrived in, what, 08. So, I mean, I... I I have to believe, you know, and he grew up in a locker room. You know, his dad, Tomas Dean, uh, he's a he's a pro's pro, he's a veteran, yada, yada, yada. That guy knows how to tune a coach out and help the other guys tune the coach out. Is there any other way to put it? I, Yeah, I don't know. I can tell you that after Hitchcock was fired... Uh, that there were there were there were prominent blues alums who were in that locker room that day who were reading Alex Steen the riot act uh, about the way he had sort of rebelled against Ken Hitchcock and and had and had you know clearly made it known that he wanted Hitch to be fired and you know okay now you got what you wanted and now here goes Mike Yo and I don't I don't know enough about the relationship between Yo and Petrangelo and Steen and all of these guys. Uh, to be able to give that a fair assessment. But to me, what it boils down to, and I, I think this is important, because Armstrong was asked today about 
keeping the current leadership group. And he said, I'm not going to pull the letters off of these guys. Uh, number one, that's interesting to me because it says that he is in charge of the team and not Baruby. Right, he was the guy who took ownership of that. Right. But number two, I think it's really important that if they hire a new coach, when they hire a new coach, that that person has the opportunity to pick his own group. I, I really think that an honest-to-God, bottom-up reassessment, let's see what that looks like, uh, is, is something that they should allow a new coach to do. Because, you know, it's clear that the leaders that are on this team are not performing up to the standards they need to perform up to for this team to, to have a winning culture and be a winning organization. It's not even close. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think that's been one of the biggest fan criticisms is that it doesn't look like the team leaders of this team are pulling the team together. That when they hit hit adversity this year and were struggling, that the team leaders, you know, number 91, 27, whoever, whoever you want to say the core leadership is, Steen, uh, that they didn't pull the guys together, didn't rally the troops, didn't circle the wagons, however you want to put it. They didn't do it. And it's as much an indictment of Mike Yo losing the room as it is their lack of being able to pull it together. By the way, very briefly, because I mentioned Eric Weinrich and his coaches earlier, I just want to point this out. One of Eric Weinrich's NHL coaches was Pierre Maguire. <laughs> he was on that 93-94 Oilers team, or 93-94 Whalers team. He played for two jocks, Jock Demers and Jock Martin, and he played for uh, two Murrays, uh, Terry and uh, Ryan. Terry and Andy, you first. mean? Um, all right, so... Well, and also, so... The, I don't know. How do we want to wrap this up? Is there... I mean, well, I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a quick... The Blues are going to get a Craig Berube bump from this? Are they going to play better this hard stretch of games at Nashville, home against Nashville, home against Winnipeg? Or is this going to be just kind of a uh, passing fancy and they get somebody in here pretty quickly? I, I kind of sounded like Armstrong was setting the fans up to... Not expect a head coach, a permanent head coach, anytime soon. So before I get to that, real quick, uh, I want to do another quick little fun trivia game because this is now the fourth time that the Blues and Cardinals have changed head coaches in the same calendar year. Have you have you seen these four? Do you know them off the top of your head? You mentioned I know Red Shandings was one um, in the seventies. So uh, here's here's the fun part. It has happened on four occasions, but only with three Blues head coaches. Because in 1976, the Cardinals fired Red Shane Deans and the Blues fired Leo Boyvin. And then in 1978, the Cardinals fired Vern Rapp and the Blues fired Leo Boyvin again. What's uh, Bob Barry doing right now? Does That's Bob Plager want to coach for a couple games again? I mean, Bob Barry's probably dead, right? Didn't Bob Barry die recently? Wasn't there a thing? Was Bob, Bob Barry died? Really? I thought that was a thing. In any event, it also happened in 2011 when Larusa retired and, uh, and and Davis Payne got fired. Bob uh, I, I don't know. I'll Barry sure. NHL. Uh, we Let me look. We had in the paper a couple issues ago when we were during the seven-game homestand. We were doing the... Uh, best draft picks for each round or for each of the seven games and uh mark reeds was mentioned that he still comes to development camp and helps with the prospects when he died from cancer uh, a few years ago Oof. bob barry is still alive by the way that's my mistake oh, my my apologies to the barry family he is 74 years old my my apologies to bob barry bob barry your family uh thoughts and prayers uh 
Okay, so I don't know. What, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, is this going to make the Blues better? So I think that there's a probably it, it, it's probably fair to suspect that part of the reason they needed to pull this trigger before this stretch against Nashville, Nashville, and Winnipeg is that they thought that there was almost no hope that a Mikey O'Helmed team would win games against Nashville, Nashville, and Winnipeg, and that maybe some of that new coach bump uh, will help them get through a very difficult stretch. That's a, that's a fair thing to wonder about. To me. I think that probably the most notable thing that came out of this press conference today is that Armstrong was fairly clear that Craig Berube is not the answer long term, right? Like, their their expectation is not that Craig Berube is going to grab this job and run with it. Their expectation seems to be Craig Berube is going to be there for right now until we find someone better, uh, which is a, a pretty interesting way to do things, and, and you know, when because when we've seen that happen in the past with the Blues, for example, when Jimmy Roberts took over for a couple of weeks after Mike Keenan, it was with kind of an elder statesman type who had the understanding that this was going to be a very temporary assignment. If, for example, the Blues had named Larry Robinson the interim, it would have made sense to me that they, you know, that they would have been very clear about the interim diet, the, the, the interim assignment. Craig Berube is a young enough guy who I'm sure wants to be a head coach again in the NHL, uh, and it did not sound today like he's going to get that chance here. Now, the thing that I marry that with is all of the conversation around Joel Quenville, right? Because ultimately that's where this whole conversation leads back to is what the Blues will do or won't do about Joel Quenville. Uh, And I, I think that, you know, is it a coincidence that this weekend, this past weekend, was the first time that Joel Quenville has made any public appearances since being fired? I don't know. It, it's interesting that that's when he came out of the woodwork. I know that there was reporting from Jeremy Rutherford earlier this week that people close to Quenville suggest that maybe he does want to coach again this season. I also know that today, uh, a team that is staffed by a bunch of Hockey Canada veterans and that has the best player in the world on it had their coaching job come open and they did not hire Joel Quenville. Does that mean that he is looking at somewhere else as a final destination? I. It's very hard for me to say no. It, it does sort of feel like maybe Q has a spot in mind. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. He's doing shots on a ski outside the Bears game, tailgating on Sunday night. Uh, you know, that you say he's being seen publicly. I mean, publicly doing shots and drinking beers before a football game. I mean, I mean, yeah, but but like, like but that is I mean that is a, that is sort of notable, right? Because, you know, Joel Quenville, I mean, and as can be seen from the reaction to all of the doing shots on skis, uh, Joel Quenville is is going to turn out to be one of the three most legendary coaches in Chicago history when all is said and done. He is, he is a tour de force up there, and so when he pops up at a Bears tailgate, I don't think it's just he missed Bears fans. I think it says this is a guy who's ready now to come back into the spotlight. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe he just wanted to have a good time. I saw him at Ram, uh, a Rams game when he was in town the first time. So. I mean, maybe he just wanted uh, to have a good time, but, like, but he, can, he can go to Aspen and ski and have a good time. And not you know, and then do that privately, right? Which probably is what he has been doing for the last week and a half. Probably, probably, yeah. I don't know. I I 
I think it's interesting. I wonder if they have some sort of agreement with Baruby that says you step up and be the interim for at least a little while and you will guarantee that you're you're here through the rest of your contract or something. I mean, the way that you're talking about, I agree. It doesn't sound like there's any chance that he's going to be considered. I mean, yeah, they said he's, he's going to be considered, but this isn't the Mike Schultz situation. They wanted Mike Schultz to, to win with the Cardinals and have a reason to keep him on as, as manager of the Cardinals this past summer. That's not the tone or the words that were used today when they introduced Baruby as the interim coach. Well, and I think, too, from Baruby's perspective, when he took the job as the associate head coach here, I don't think he took that job with the idea that Mike Yo was going to be fired, you know, a year and a month later, right? I think that Baruby took that job with the idea that it was a springboard to go somewhere else, that he was going yeah. to get back into the NHL as a coach for a different team. Yeah, he fixes his resume, fixes a little bit of reputation, creates some more tape to be watched, and then is in consideration for another job somewhere down the road. I agree. I, I think they might not get a jump. Uh, somebody said that uh, Rutherford was doing a radio hit at uh, practice and had to move away from the rink because Baruby was yelling that much in practice and that he didn't want uh, uh, an, ex- an expletive, a, a naughty word to get caught on the radio. So... <laughs> Maybe he's going to come in and kick some ass. Maybe maybe the passion. I mean, uh, too many nights, too many nights, the Blues looked like they were playing an exhibition game. And, you know, Monday night against the Kings, they couldn't string together two or three passes in a row. They, I mean, they, were, they just looked flat and, and like they'd never played together before. It was crazy. It was And it was every single time down. They couldn't put together a third pass. It, it was horrible. So maybe he comes in. Get some passion. Maybe these guys get pissed off. Maybe yeah. get in the ass, and and something changes. But I do think I do think man, too I, that I hope they I hope they find an answer soon. I think there are going to be some things that we might roll our eyes at, right? Like it wouldn't totally shock me if, as part of whatever ass kicking that Craig Berube wants to do, like we see Jordan Nolan get called up, right, and and sent out there to bang bodies a little bit, something to that effect. Uh, you know, I. Not my favorite brand of hockey, but I do think that probably Barubi is going to try to bring an edge uh, by whatever means he can dredge up. I, I, I just think that I think that this team really needs a reset. I, I'm you know le- the coaching has been has been taken care of. Uh, Doug Armstrong is going to be here, so then we're talking players, we're talking leadership, we're talking some sort of measurable effect in that locker room, and I. I don't know that it ends with today. I, I really, I mean, and maybe maybe I'm a sucker who is listening to what Doug Armstrong has to say, but I just, I don't know if this is the end of the conversation. I think maybe this is the start of it. On Sunday, we talked about roster construction and some of the salaries for the Blues. I, I mean, I, I kind of question the, the ability to make some, some big changes. I mean, do you think a lot of teams want Jaden Schwartz, who isn't going to play through the weekend, at $5 million a year? I, yeah. I, I, think, I don't know. I, I mean, that's mean, that's one where I think Jayden maybe. Schwartz, sure, but. I think maybe people would want Jaden Schwartz because, you know, there's only two years left on that deal. Uh, he's easily a guy you could look at. You could look at when he's been healthy last season and what he contributed, and you could think that maybe he was in a bad situation here, uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe he catches fire somewhere else, and, and maybe he would. I'm not, this is not saying the Blues should trade Jaden Schwartz, just, you know, as an example of a guy who's got an expiring deal. I think that Colton Pareko would have a lot of appeal to a lot of teams. Uh, and again, 
like Toronto for Nylander. Yeah, I mean, maybe. That's that's harder to do because I don't know that the Blues, like, that doesn't necessarily work cap-wise. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, it, that's it's a possibility or, you know, pretty well wherever else. Uh, I think there are a lot of teams who would be interested in having two years of Alex Petrangelo. That, to me, is the really, really, really interesting one. Because if you wanted to shake up this team... That, that's really, yeah, that really is the reset button. That is that that would be a way to make a serious, dramatic, demonstrable change. It's I mean, uh, it's that it's you probable. know, maybe and, and again, a lot of people have made the argument and we have made this argument several times that Petrangelo is not properly appreciated and if he wasn't here, uh, that blues fans would quickly notice his absence. And maybe so. And that that may very well be true. But I mean, I don't know. That that would be it, we would it would look very think, different. Okay, it would be a change uh, that would be that would be felt throughout the organization the on a whole bunch building, of different fronts. The need to sell tickets. They yeah. give up on the season yeah. at this point. And it's, I think uh, trading, I think trading crazy, number twenty seven yeah. would be given would be seen as giving up on the season. When Maybe uh, I just I don't ago. think that the season is probably still there for the taking, and so maybe it's time to really start reshaping. Far, but at least I guess. Side. So I guess you know. It's not the like. Side of it, I think. I think the business side is going to trump there's still anything that going to be hard drastically do because they, they, the pressure is there to sell tickets. Sixty percent of their games. You know, you know, yeah. just on Monday it's probably better. There were slaves behind the blues bench that didn't fill the entire game. Twelve calendar months. There's that one section up to the top above one of the face-off circles that has been empty on a regular basis. Some people are saying, oh, they're probably in the club or at one of the bars drinking. No, no, no. Those, those people, people have not been in those seats for several games, not not one minute of games. So, I, and you know, I think of, if you look at the attendance on some of the stat sheets, you know, I know they took some seats out and the capacity is smaller, but um, I, I kind of think they still have to put an onus on selling some tickets and Making some trades to reset the franchise uh, is not how you sell tickets. The, the bottom line is that they have not sold out the building one time this year. They announced a sellout on opening night, but it was about 150 tickets short of capacity. Outside of that, they don't have a sellout, and it's almost Thanksgiving. And that's they can't live with that as a team that's on the edge here. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe a reset is going to be a problem uh, for them financially, but they're, something drastic has to happen. Something drastic did happen today, but... Maybe something more needs to happen. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, all right. Hey, maybe there's a bump. Maybe, uh, maybe Quinville's flying to St. Louis right now. Maybe, uh, maybe something big's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, in a perfect world, Jeff. Last question. Perfect world. Who would you like to be the next permanent coach of the St. Louis Blues? Joel Quinville. There's, uh, there's no other answer for me. <laughs> he's one of the, he's one of the five best coaches in league history, and he doesn't have a job. It's Joel Quenville. Okay, uh, I'm with you. I I do think the minor league guy with the least uh, Keith is that his name? Yeah, I I don't watch the AHL. I don't know shit about Sheldon Keith and how well he coaches. It's intriguing. Here's the bottom line, and I think we talked about this at some point on the podcast. The Blues really haven't had a genuine coaching search. That the last several coaches in a row, as soon as they fire the guy. The, the permanent guy is steps in immediately. And it's not, you know, maybe while the previous guy was floundering, they were making calls and check, but they haven't had a legitimate, broad, let's look at all the coaching options publicly for a long time. So, 
that, but, you know, if they settle on Quinville quickly, I guess I'm okay with that, too. Yep. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for setting this up, Jeff, on short notice. We, we, we could have done this, like, last night or, I don't know, lunch today or something. But we could not have done it. I wasn't doing it at midnight last night. We could not have done it then. All right. That shows your, your, uh, your, your dedication to the podcast, Jeff. And it's true. And it's true that I am not so dedicated to want to podcast at literally fucking midnight. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being members of the Patreon. We actually got a request on the Patreon site to do this, and then I said, "Wait, yeah, you're right. We we should do that. What are we well, looking for?" And so, so here's here's a little here's a little uh, business on the air, as we're so good at. I figured we were going to release this over iTunes for the free podcast uh, because what a good way to draw in some listeners. Well, but we got here's my thinking, Jeff, as we debate this for in front of the listeners. A, po- a Patreon subscriber asked for it, so I kind of felt like, uh, let's give it to him. So, uh, All right, that's fair. We can we do could, it that way. We can, uh, we can rehash a few of these things for the uh, free podcast and maybe do, a, maybe do one. Heck, we could do a special one like on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving or something. We're, we're going we're gonna to have to probably do one on Thanksgiving for Friday's home game. Spoiler alert. Uh, so, okay. so, you know, we'll, 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 we'll figure that out. But uh, here, here, yeah. <laughs> We'll put this, we'll put this, you're, you're, you're doing the paper anyway, what does it matter? Uh, we will put this on the Patreon this evening, and then maybe at the end of the week, maybe Thursday or Friday, we'll put it up for free, so you get a couple of days head start from go. Patreon it's people. It's exclusive for a while, and then we'll, put, yeah. Hey, good plan. I'm glad we worked this out, and we, we have a seamless organization to the listener. Yep, done and done. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. Until, uh, until the next uh, Blues Home Game on Friday, let's go Blues!